Hi, everyone. I'm John Strasner. And I'm Berta Alexander. And this is Break Some Dishes, an Imagine a Place production. We're here because we realize that sometimes to get something done, you've got to start by breaking stuff up. We talk with scientists, artists, activists, educators, adventurers, and of course, designers who are doing incredible things to save our planet. Verda is a designer and I'm a talker. So we want to share these amazing conversations with you in the hopes that you'll be as inspired and excited by them as we are. And you'll start breaking some dishes of your own. There's no time to lose. So welcome to Break Some Dishes. morning, everyone. Welcome to Break Some Dishes podcast. I am Verda Alexander, your co-host, and John Strasker right here is with me. Well, not exactly, but... By your side, Verda. Always by your side. (laughs) Hi, John. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm doing great. You know, I'm always three hours ahead of you, so I feel like I'm a step ahead. I I know. I just finished breakfast. So uh, Break Some Dishes, a lot of people ask us, how did that name come about? What is Break Some Dishes all about? And you'd think that John and I like to cook in the kitchen and that we're a little clumsy and every so often we break a few dishes. (laughs) That's kind of true. We're feeling, we started this podcast because we feel like we're in this moment in time where if we are in the kitchen, we got to get in there and break some dishes because we really need to start looking at solutions that um, can solve for so many of these crises that we're dealing with right now. We are trying to upend traditional design solutions. We're looking outside the status quo to those places where radical change and transformation are happening. We're looking at people that are breaking dishes by crossing boundaries of their discipline and using design as a tool for change and disruption. So John, are you ready to break some dishes today? You want to introduce our guest? Yeah, man. I'm always ready to break some dishes. We have a, you know, I I always say this, right? I'm always like, hey, super excited about the episode. Or, hey, we have a great guest. I think we have an okay guest on today. But, you know, I'm hoping we we can bring him up through our own strong personalities, Verda. Today we have, joining us, we have Bob King. He's the founder and CEO of Human Scale Corporation. And a lot of you may be wondering why why do you guys have a, a CEO on your on your podcast today? We've never had a CEO on the podcast. We've had authors, we've had scientists, we've had engineers, op- entrepreneurs, and inventors, but we've never had a CEO. And Is that true? The reason, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're we're CEO less up right. until today. All right. I'm the first one who who. <laughs> Who agreed to come on, I guess. <laughs> For a year and a half, we've been asking people, and Bob's the first one to say Finally. yes. Finally. <laughs> no, no. But so Bob Bob started Human Scale Corporation. And if you've been listening to our podcast, you have heard us reference Human Scale plenty of times. We've had Jane Abernethy on one of our episodes to talk about material transparency. And Jane is the sustainability officer at Human Scale. So it's really only natural that sooner or later, we would trick Bob into joining us. And we're excited to have Bob today. So Bob, welcome. Welcome to Break Some Dishes. And um, we're excited to have you. 
Well, thanks, John. Thanks for it. And thanks for having, having me on. Um, I really think it's important to talk to talk about these issues. Absolutely. Did you see how long Bob's with, been with Human Scale, John? Well, he started the company in 1983. Wow. So I guess you could say he's been with it for a while. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't fired himself yet. So I guess that's a congratulations I there, Bob. I couldn't get it. No one, no one will hire me. So I had to stay. He had to, had to stick it out. Bob, why don't you... Why don't you? Uh, so the reason why we've got Bob on is because Human Scale has been developing uh, a reputation in our industry for quite a few years now of being very much a forward-thinking corporation when it comes to climate change and climate activism. I always try not to use the word sustainability whenever possible. I don't think it's a great word, but but Bob really has been uh, at the forefront of it, and he's done some uh, amazingly innovative things with human scale. And Bob, why don't you just take a minute to tell us a little bit about what human scale does and kind of how you came to start the company? Well, I started the company, uh, as you say, back in, in, in 83 in New York. Uh, that was when people were just starting to get computers on their desks. And, and what we realized is that people were adjusting their body to their work, to, to these computers, right? Uh, to, to the keyboard, to the, to the screen. And they were contorting their body and ended up having all kinds of all kinds of issues. Uh, so I started the company making ergonomic products, uh, products that allow people to adjust their work to them rather than their body to their work, hunching over their desk and that sort of thing. Uh, and then and then, of course, it, it, it grew from there. And, 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 and over the years, we we realized things that things like chairs are really sophisticated ergonomic tools, not furniture. And so we, we got into into seating, which is an important part of our business. And uh, and and now desks are ergonomic tools, right? They they go up and down uh, rather than just sit there. So that's that's what we do. We make products that that improve the health uh, and well being of people in, in, in the work in, in the workplace. And the workplace can be at home these days too, of course. Do you think that because your initial focus was the health and well being of people that because I feel like early on, you also started to think about the health and well-being being of the planet. Do you think it, those are interconnected and that's why you went on that track? They're definitely interconnected, uh, for sure. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if that's why we went on that track per se. Um, I've always been uh, really interested and committed to, to uh, environmental stewardship, to protecting the planet. As a kid, I spent most of my time, I, we lived in a rural area. I spent most of my time uh, in the woods or walking up streams or in lakes uh, fishing or something. And um, I always had a connection with the, with the natural world. What was the catalyst, Bob? I mean, I know you're a, you are a conservationist on the animal protection side of things. I think you really got started working with WWF. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that chronology? Right. Well, well, like I said, I've always been connected to the natural world and I've always wanted to protect the natural world. And I thought protecting the natural natural world was protecting wild places and, and the creatures that live there. And so I uh, when we when we began getting getting some success, I partnered with the World Wildlife Fund, supported some of their efforts. And we actually partnered together to protect uh, a very large um, ecosystem in the eastern plains of Cambodia which is an amazing, amazing ecosystem full of incredible creatures that were just being devastated by, by mostly illegal hunting. Um, we partnered 
with WWF. They ran the program. We partnered with the Cambodian government as well. We supported it financially. And I thought that that's, that's how, that's how we protect the planet. And then of course, over time, I realized that that's only a part of it, that that's actually very important. And we still actually protect that, that, that area in the, in the Eastern area of Cambodia. I realized that, that there's a lot more to uh, environmental stewardship than just protecting wild places. And so we went on a journey. It wasn't like we had one moment where we said, oh, I get it. We have, we have to use healthy materials and we have to use materials that are, that are, that are going to be you know, not so bad for the planet and for climate. And, and geez, we gotta, we've got to do, uh, do better in terms of carbon footprint and measuring our carbon footprint in our, in our, in our factories and so on. That, that all happened slowly and it was, it was very much a journey. It's almost easier to manage when it happens in, in, in those baby steps. So that it wasn't as if you ever flipped a page and boom, you had this new sustainability initiative laid out that was, you know, zero to 90 overnight, right? Yeah. It sounds like it was just integral into your philosophy from the day, from day one. Yeah. Iterative almost, right? Right. We, I always cared about the planet. I always cared about wild places. And and I real and then we realized. Uh, I think that one of the first things we realized uh, after we were trying to protect these wild places, uh, we realized that using healthy materials is a really important thing, and that we were using unhealthy materials, and the whole industry was using unhealthy materials. We realized that that that's that can have tragic effects downstream uh, of the in the supply chain or or upstream in the supply chain, or actually right in an office where people, where people work with these, with the, with the equipment. So that was, that was the, the next thing that, that we realized is that, is that there are materials that are being used in manufacturing that we surround ourselves with after they're manufactured that are really, really unhealthy for us. Uh, going back to what Verda said about creating a healthy workplace, we were making products out of things that, that were, were contributing to an unhealthy workplace. And that was that was very shocking to us when we, when we finally figured it out. But again, it was very much a journey. We figured this out little by little. Supply chain management is such a big part of sustainable initiatives today. I mean, how how difficult is it to really get control of your supply chain? And do you think that um, you have an advantage over companies that say? Oh, we've got so many moving parts and pieces and materials and subcontractors and human scale makes simpler product. And so, you know, your supply chain is easier to manage and it's easier for you to understand what goes into your products. It's a big, it's a big piece of the puzzle though. Well, no, it's, it's hugely important. We make all kinds of different products. We make products using metals, using all different types of, of plastics, using wood, um, so we're faced with the same issues everyone else is faced with. And when we, when we went to our suppliers, they initially said, oh, it's too complex. You know, a plastic nylon, for example, might have 30 different chemicals in it that make up that nylon. It's not just nylon. So you have to go way back in the supply chain to find out what's in something. And it takes, it takes a, a quite a bit of work. Then, but the real problem is once you do that, You'll, what you'll find out is that there's some harm, some really harmful materials that, that's being used along the way. That's that's the hard part. That's where you you have to make hard hard decisions. 
um, difficult decisions. It takes hard work to get there. But then once you get there, you have to make very difficult decisions about what to do. And those, those decisions are largely financial. We had Jane Abernathy on one of our early episodes, your chief sustainability officer. She's amazing. We love Jane. We've had her on a few episodes, actually. We had her on our, on our panel talk as well. And it's really a, about sleuthing, being a Sherlock Holmes and really digging deep into what's in products and why. She told us a story. I love this story about how it, it was just standard practice to put stain resistant chemicals, stain guard on fabric. And she dug a little deeper and found out that that it's not as long lasting, you know, you, the double rubs thing. It's a lot less, like the lifespan of that is much shorter. So it's coming off on people's clothes and onto their skin and transferring. And they just tried, or you guys just tried not using it and nobody even noticed, right? Uh, one of our engineers who was working on the durability of our fabrics overall saw that you could wear through, actually wear through the threads uh, and of course, stain resistant coatings are on the surface. So this individual said, geez, I bet they don't hold up too long. And we did a test and found out they didn't hold up too long. They might last seven to, I don't know, nine, nine or 10 months, depending on the, the design of the textile. And then, then they're largely gone. And so they don't provide any, any value anymore. And so it was, that was an easy one. We, we said, well, then that's easy. We, we won't use any, uh, any coatings anymore. Do you feel like Everybody in the industry is is tackling this right now. Um, I'll give you a very short answer to that. No. <laughs> well, everyone is a lot of people, John. <laughs> well, I mean, I think as an industry, you know, we we play such a large role in in the impact of of you know our buildings and what goes into the buildings and the carbon that comes out of those buildings and, and Bob's talking about material transparency right now and supply chain management. And do you think our industry should be doing a lot more? No, I think they should be doing a, a great deal more. Um, but we're only four or 5% of the whole industry are by revenue, right? Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. four, four and a half, five percent of the whole industry. So we can't have much of a, of an impact on the, on the planet. So our, our mission is, to educate customers and designers about the importance of material transparency for one thing uh, and using healthy materials so that they start asking their other suppliers, hey, do you have ingredients labels? We'd we'd really like ingredients labels. And if they do that, it's going to force others to to get ingredients labels. And 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 of course, the beauty of of having an ingredients label is you have to you have to do the the hard make the hard decision. You're, you know what's in your product. You know there's a red list of chemical in there. Are you going to get rid of it or not? Uh, and if customers demand it, people will get rid of the red list of chemicals. And, and, and that'll have a huge impact, not only on people, but, uh, but the environment overall. Now, tell us about living product certification. Now I judged the Metropolis's Planet Positive Awards and you guys got the, the big <laughs> the big cheese, the big award because basically nobody was even remotely you guys were like Usain Bolt. You were about 100 yards ahead of everyone else. You guys have 25 products that are LPC certified 
and only 42 are certified in the world so far. And so you have more than half certified. Why, what's, what's motivating you to, to get all these products certified? What does living product certification mean to you and why is it so important? Living Product Challenge is, is a great organization. Uh, what they do is they certify that what you're saying is true. Because a lot of a lot of companies might say something. In fact, there's a there's a that's one of my concerns. There's a great deal of greenwashing out there. A lot of information that's confusing. People are putting forth something that they're doing that's actually not helping the environment and saying it does. And then consumers are faced with this information and they have to make they're, they're trying they're trying to do the right thing. But by having all this confusing information out there about the environment and who's doing what, it's very hard for them to make decisions that really matter and make a difference. Uh, Living Product Challenge makes it clearer, right? They certify that if you're using healthy materials, you have a declare label and what's on there is, has been audited. Uh, and the same, of course, with planet positive products. We're, we're certified LPC positive, planet positive, uh, because they audited our operations. They, they do a very deep dive audit to establish that, they, that what you're doing is, is actually what you say you're doing, and it's really making a difference. And that's what our industry needs desperately right now, an organization like LPC that says, this is real information, this is, this is accurate, you can, tr you can trust it, because there's so much information that's, that's it's inaccurate and, and even misleading out there. It's so true. We all need, we're, we're past the point of just being sustainable. We can't just not do harm we actually all have to jump on board to to go beyond sustainability and actually repair the damage that's been done that's that's the real big challenge and that a lot of people aren't even really aware of So I'm curious, um, and I, I hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot. And you know, if if I am, we can edit it out. <laughs> but I I I think you know one of the biggest challenges manufacturing has right now is you know we all talk about cradle to cradle and end of life, and you know what what do we do with product at the end of its life cycle because we're making stuff, and are we making stuff that's going to go into a landfill and what what are you are, you are you thinking about that right now? What are you, you know, what are your thoughts on on keeping product out of a out of the landfills? Oh, I think that's hugely important. the 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 key to that is to make something that lasts. The other thing we're doing too, which more and more companies are doing, they're, they're doing in the clothing area in a big way, um, is refurbing product. So if a customer is, is moving, they've had their chairs or, 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 or monitor arms for, for 10 years and they want to get new ones, we'll take, we'll take them back, refurb them and sell them, uh, resell them as refurb product. We've just, we're just, we've, we've been doing that for a while on a small scale. We're really ramping it up. We think that's a, a, an exciting thing. We've actually had customers, large customers, large corporate customers start asking for that, which is, which is really a cool thing. Yeah. We had a group on the other day called Heirloom. And and that's that's what they're trying to do is really identify those classic design pieces and and reward beautiful design by by keeping the product out of a landfill and refurbishing it and and using local craftspeople to um, upkeep 
the furniture pieces and get them back into circulation so they don't wind up, you know, in a landfill somewhere. So it's huge. It's definitely something that, you know, you have to think about. Our local rep, our local human scale rep out here, Erin, she told us a story about, I can't remember what tech firm it was, but they were wanting to replace like 500 monitor arms. And she went in to look at the job, the project, and she's like, these arms are in perfectly good shape. What is it that is the issue? And I'm not sure if they repainted them or what they did, but she convinced the client not to buy 500 new monitor arms, but to just get them refurbished. Uh oh, now Bob's pissed off. <laughs> Oops, I hope I haven't lost her. What's her name again? <laughs> I was just so impressed by that story because most manufacturers want to just sell new stuff. Like, yeah, let's get it out of there and let's get you all new, whatever chairs. Well, that's the that's the dichotomy, right? I mean, Bob, you, you got to feel it. I mean, you want to sell. I mean, that's how you survive. That's how your company thrives: revenue, sales. So, I mean, that's a constant juxtaposition. It's like, we got to sell more product, but then at the same time, are we being responsible, right? It's a, it's a weird place for manufacturers to find themselves. No, it absolutely is. And, and it has to be, it has to be, I, I can't, I know you don't like the word, but it has to be sustainable. What we do, it, it can't, it, it can't be damaging. Uh, you ha- it has to be healthy. So um, you have to do things that ultimately are good for everyone. A good example of that is ocean plastic. We we started a program where you probably have heard about this. We um, we partnered with a, a, a bunch of a bunch of guys from the West Coast, really. Um, Boreo, you're talking about Boreo. Boreo, yeah, Boreo. Okay. So their idea was to go to fishermen in remote locations and do a deal with them so that rather than cut their nets off when the nets were, were finished, were shot in the ocean, which is what happens almost everywhere in the world, they, they told the fishermen, look, don't cut it off and at sea, cut it off, throw it in the corner of the parking lot here. We're going to send a truck down, you know, every couple of months, we'll send a truck down and pick it up. Uh, and, and that way, you know, it won't, it won't pollute the ocean and so on. They had this whole. They started this whole business, which is now very successful. Um, they they supplied us for. They started supplying us. I think um, 20, 2017 or so. Uh, they've been supplying Patagonia. Um, Human Scale and Patagonia started started supporting them initially. But the cool thing about that is that is that they sell us the plastic. We use the plastic to make chairs, and then we we label the chairs as being ocean chairs. And then companies buy them. For example, Salesforce has standardized on one of our chairs, the Smart Ocean, and explained to their employees that, hey, this is made from reclaimed fishing nets that otherwise would be drifting in the ocean, killing, killing marine life. How cool is that? And then the employees think, wow, that's really cool. That creates value for the customer uh, that allows us to pay to extract these nets from the ocean. So that's, that's a, a cyclical uh, system. That's sustainable. Yeah, that creates value all, all, all along all along the way, and that's ultimately that's that sort of thing is the future. I think. So, what do you tell people, Bob? I'm just curious because you know I think a lot of companies look at these conversations and immediately assume it's going to it's going to erode their margins and it's not going to be a sustainable business model. 
you're obviously finding the business model to be sustainable from a financial perspective. I mean, what's your, what do you say to people that just assume that these sorts of initiatives are just going to cost you more and more money? Well, you can do some things that, that actually can generate more business for you and, and therefore can be self-sustaining. Um, there are some organizations that are saying, look, we're not going to even consider your product unless it has an ingredients label. Because without an ingredients label, you can't make a thoughtful decision about what you want to bring into your organization and what, pro- what materials uh, you want to purchase. We, the, the first thing that has to, that what has to be done in, in, our, in our industry and in every industry is educate people about, about the importance of transparency in, in making choices. And until, that, until we do that well, it's going to cost companies, it will, call, it will cost companies to do the right thing. Thankfully, a few companies are starting to lead the way, like Salesforce has a health, whole healthy materials playbook that they go by. And Google is getting on board. I think the more that our clients are asking for it, the more that we're going to ask for it as well. That's right. And that's the, that's the key to educate the clients. Um, and make sure designers are fully educated. I know you are, Verda, but there's a lot of designers who, who don't really understand the importance of transparency. And we have to get the word out there. And you guys are doing doing you know great work getting the word out there as well. Um, but the more people are educated, like the sale, Salesforce team, they they understand these issues and they they've they've demanded it. Google has as well. Yeah. If everyone did, I assure you, every company in our industry would be getting rid of red listed chemicals left and right. They'd be putting declare labels on or HPD labels on. Yeah. Uh, and, and it would have an enormous impact on, uh, on our planet, which, which would be wonderful. So that's happening. It's just, it's happening a little too slow for me. So I'm just, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure it's happening a little too slow for, for you guys. Well, and I wonder if the other piece that might help speed things up, it's, although it's a challenge to figure out how to move that needle is, regulation. I know that in California, flame retardants, I learned about flame retardants maybe about 15 years ago when I started to develop a hypothyroid disorder. And my doctor said it's because of the PVDEs, flame retardants that are basically in everything, carpet, fabric, um, that are known to cause these things. But the trade-off is that supposedly your couch might be more flammable if your house (laughs) catches on fire and there was no uh, labeling. And that was the main issue. And this regulation basically required that this labeling be on this furniture. And since that's happened, you've got big companies like Crate and Barrel and Pottery Barn now stating on their labels that it doesn't contain these flame retardants because now people are aware and if they can get their couches and chairs without these chemicals, they are trying to do that. I had to, I ordered a couch that had to get delivered into Utah (laughs) um, back in the day before this, before this legislation passed. And so that was a big, hugely moved needle here in California. Regulation is huge. Yeah. Regulation is huge. Regulation is incredibly important and would help dramatically as as it did in California. Uh, Of course, of course, what what they figured out in California is, is not just these chemicals were really unhealthy. Uh, But if your, your house caught on fire and that couch caught on fire and it had the flame retardants in it, uh, the toxins in the air were having a (laughs) devastating effect on the poor firefighters. 
So they right. finally said, "All right, this is stupid. Let's 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 get rid yeah. of this," which is which is a good thing. I think it's I think it's still hanging in there in Boston. Actually, the 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 yeah the Boston legislature hasn't figured that one out yet. But uh, but you need you need. I think if we could get more legislation demanding ingredients labels, like they did in food. I mean, food has to be has to have an ingredients label, and people are real. I mean, everyone reads ingredients labels. Uh, that would go a yeah, long yeah. way. And unfortunately, politics is is challenging, and uh, there there are lobbyists saying that we don't want we don't want ingredients labels because that's going to cost us more money to get rid of red listed chemicals and replace them with something that it's healthy, uh, costs more. So um, we should push for that. But I think in the meantime, we we need to just go and do. And, and do the educating and, and that sort of thing that's uh, that's going to that's going to get us there anyway. Yeah, you have to do the educating because this is an invisible problem. Unfortunately, I can put your chair next to a chair that's got every red list ingredient we've been talking about, and the consumer can look at those two chairs and not realize one of those chairs is healthier than the other. You know? Well, no, absolutely. And furthermore. Um, the one the one chair might be made out of primarily re- recycled plastic, and they say, "Look at this; it's made out of ninety percent recycled plastic." We're really doing our part. Well, they probably they probably are using all kinds of toxins, and, and so yeah. on. And and the and the reality is that if you go to Staples and buy a chair for sixty nine ninety five. Uh, that chair is going to be made out of recycled plastic because it's cheaper than using virgin plastic. There's, there's not because they're concerned about the environment. So, again, there, people are spinning, um, are using, are using uh, customers' goodwill and desire to do the right thing to sell products that that are not necessarily better for the environment. And therefore, yeah, not allowing people to to, to do to make a difference because they're getting, they're getting bad information. And that's, that's, that's another reason it's so important to, to educate everyone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you're absolutely right. So give us a piece of advice. If, you know, if, if I'm a CEO of a company and I'm thinking about instigating some of these initiatives that you've talked about today, what's one piece of advice that you would like to share? I think the best thing we could do is, um, Demand ingredients labels from our from our suppliers uh, for products. Uh, if you if you do that, and then you make sure the staff is educated, and, and you don't have to be that educated because the ingredients labels, if it's if it's a red list of chemical pill, it's it's printed in red, right? So uh, you don't have to be a, a chemist to figure that out. I think that that would go a long way. Demand demand ingredients labels and transparency, so people can make uh, a thoughtful decision about what they're buying. It's a long haul. You know, it's amazing. I feel like we've been talking about this for a long time, you know, and we still got a long way to go and we have no time left. No time. No, we're running out of time. But listen, we, we're making big progress. People care a lot more now. If you were to ask me five years ago, uh, do your customers are your customers willing to pay more for, for healthy products? You know what I would say? I would say it's a nice to have. They're not paying more. Now, now people are willing to pay more if they if they un, if they understand the difference. So no, I think we've come yeah. a long way. I think we made huge strides, um, Good. and I I see it accelerating. I think that's true. The snowball effect. A little optimism, <laughs> a sliver of optimism. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. We're, we're making we're making big strides, and again, 
the more customers demand it, the, the more the more the industry will change.